Section 9 of Luther's Large Catechism. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrew Coleman. The Large Catechism by Martin Luther. Translated by F. Benty and W. H. T. Dow. Part Second of the Creed. Thus far we have heard the first part of Christian doctrine, in which we have seen all that God wishes us to do or to leave undone. Now there properly follows the Creed, which sets forth to us everything that we must expect and receive from God, and, to state it quite briefly, teaches us to know Him fully. And this is intended to help us do that which according to the Ten Commandments we ought to do. For, as said above, they are set so high that all human ability is far too feeble and weak to attain to or keep them. Therefore, it is as necessary to learn this part as the former, in order that we may know how to attain thereto, whence and whereby to obtain such power. For, if we could by our own powers keep the Ten Commandments as they are to be kept, we would need nothing further, neither the Creed nor the Lord's Prayer. But before we explain this advantage and necessity of the Creed, it is sufficient at first for the simple-minded that they learn to comprehend and understand the Creed itself. In the first place, the creed has hitherto been divided into twelve articles, although, if all points which are written in the scriptures and which belong to the creed were to be distinctly set forth, there would be far more articles, nor could they all be clearly expressed in so few words. But that it may be most easily and clearly understood, as it is to be taught to children, we shall briefly sum up the entire creed in three chief articles, according to the three persons in the Godhead, to whom everything that we believe is related. So that the first article, of God the Father, explains creation. The second article, of the Son, redemption. And the third, of the Holy Ghost, sanctification just as though the creed were briefly comprehended in so many words. I believe in God the Father, who has created me. I believe in God the Son, who has redeemed me. I believe in the Holy Ghost, who sanctifies me. One God and one faith, but three persons. Therefore also three articles or confessions. Let us briefly run over the words. Article 1. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. This portrays and sets forth most briefly what is the essence, will, activity and work of God the Father. For since the Ten Commandments have taught that we are to have not more than one God, the question might be asked, what kind of a person is God? 
What does he do? How can we praise or portray and describe him, that he may be known? Now that is taught in this and in the following article, so that the creed is nothing else than the answer and confession of Christians arranged with respect to the first commandment. As if you were to ask a little child, My dear, what sort of a God have you? What do you know of him? He could say, This is my God. First, the Father, who has created heaven and earth. Besides this only one, I regard nothing else as God, for there is no one else who could create heaven and earth. But for the learned, and those who are somewhat advanced, have acquired some scriptural knowledge, these three articles may all be expanded and divided into as many parts as there are words. But now for young scholars, let it suffice to indicate the most necessary points. Namely, as we have said, that this article refers to the creation, that we emphasize the words creator of heaven and earth. But what is the force of this? Or what do you mean by these words? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker, etc. Answer. This is what I mean and believe, that I am a creature of God, that is, that he has given and constantly preserves to me my body, soul and life, members great and small, all my senses, reason and understanding, and so on, food and drink, clothing and support, wife and children, domestics, house and home, etc., Besides, he causes all creatures to serve for the uses and necessities of life. Sun, moon and stars in the firmament, day and night, air, fire, water, earth and whatever it bears and produces, birds and fishes, beasts, grain and all kinds of produce, and whatever else there is of bodily and temporal goods, good government, peace, security. Thus we learn from this article that none of us has of himself, nor can preserve his life, nor anything that is here enumerated, or can be enumerated, however small and unimportant a thing it might be. For all is comprehended in the word creator. Moreover, we also confess that God the Father has not only given us all that we have and see before our eyes, but daily preserves and defends us against all evil and misfortune, averts all sorts of danger and calamity, and that he does all this out of pure love and goodness, without our merit, as a benevolent Father, who cares for us that no evil befall us but to speak more of this belongs in the other two parts of this article, where we say, Father Almighty. Now since all that we possess, and moreover whatever in addition is in heaven and upon the earth, is daily given, preserved, and kept for us by God, it is readily inferred and concluded that it is our duty to love praise and thank him for it without ceasing, and, in short, 
to serve him with all these things as he demands, and has enjoined in the Ten Commandments. Here we could say much if we were to expatiate. How few there are that believe this article. For we all pass over it, hear it and say it, but neither see nor consider what the words teach us. For if we believed it with the heart, we would also act accordingly, and not stalk about proudly, act defiantly, and boast as though we had life, riches, power, and honour, etc., of ourselves, so that others must fear and serve us, as is the practice of the wretched, perverse world, which is drowned in blindness, and abuses all the good things and gifts of God only for its own pride, avarice, lust, and luxury, and never once regards God so as to thank him or acknowledge him as Lord and Creator. Therefore, this article ought to humble and terrify us all, if we believed it, for we sin daily with eyes ears, hands, body and soul, money and possessions, and with everything we have, especially those who even fight against the word of God. Yet Christians have this advantage, that they acknowledge themselves in duty bound to serve God for all these things, and to be obedient to him, which the world knows not how to do. We ought, therefore, daily to practice this article, impress it upon our mind, and to remember it in all that meets our eyes, and in all good that falls to our lot, and wherever we escape from calamity or danger, that it is God who gives and does all these things, that therein we sense and see his paternal heart and his transcendent love toward us thereby the heart would be warmed and kindled to be thankful, and to employ all such good things to the honour and praise of God. Thus we have most briefly presented the meaning of this article, as much as is at first necessary for the most simple to learn, both as to what we have and receive from God, and what we owe in return, which is a most excellent knowledge but a far greater treasure. For here we see how the Father has given himself to us, together with all creatures, and has most richly provided for us in this life, besides that he has overwhelmed us with unspeakable, eternal treasures by his Son and the Holy Ghost, as we shall hear. Article 2 and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Here we learn to know the second person of the Godhead, so that we see what we have from God over and above the temporal goods aforementioned, 
namely, how he has completely poured forth himself, and withheld nothing from us that he has not given us. Now, this article is very rich and broad, but in order to expound it also briefly, and in a childlike way, we shall take up one word and sum up in that the entire article, namely, as we have said, that we may here learn how we have been redeemed. And we shall base this on these words, in Jesus Christ, our Lord. If now you asked, what do you believe in the second article of Jesus Christ? Answer briefly, I believe that Jesus Christ, true Son of God, has become my Lord. But what is it to become Lord? It is this, that he has redeemed me from sin, from the devil, from death and all evil. For before I had no Lord nor King, but was captive under the power of the devil, condemned to death, enmeshed in sin and blindness. For when we had been created by God the Father, and had received from him all manner of good, the devil came and led us into disobedience, sin, death, and all evil, so that we fell under his wrath and displeasure, and were doomed to eternal damnation, as we had merited and deserved. There was no counsel, help, or comfort, until this only and eternal Son of God, in his unfathomable goodness, had compassion upon our misery and wretchedness and came from heaven to help us. Those tyrants and jailers then are all expelled now, and in their place has come Jesus Christ, Lord of life, righteousness, every blessing and salvation, and has delivered us poor lost men from the jaws of hell, has won us, made us free, and brought us again into the favour and grace of the Father and has taken us as his own property under his shelter and protection, that he may govern us by his righteousness, wisdom, power, life, and blessedness. Let this, then, be the sum of this article, that the little word Lord signifies simply as much as Redeemer, i.e. he who has brought us from Satan to God, from death to life, from sin to righteousness, and who preserves us in the same. But all the points which follow in order in this article serve no other end than to explain and express this redemption, how and whereby it was accomplished, that is, how much it cost him, and what he spent and risked that he might win us and bring us under his dominion, namely, that he became man, conceived and born without any stain of sin, of the Holy Ghost and of the Virgin Mary, that he might overcome sin. Moreover, that he suffered, died, and was buried, that he might make satisfaction for me and pay what I owe, not with silver nor gold, but with his own precious blood, 
and all this in order to become my Lord. For he did none of these for himself, nor had he any need of it. And after that he rose again from the dead, swallowed up and devoured death, and finally ascended into heaven and assumed the government at the Father's right hand, so that the devil and all powers must be subject to him and lie at his feet, until finally, at the last day, he will completely part and separate us from the wicked world, the devil, death, sin, etc. But to explain all these single points separately belongs not to brief sermons for children, but rather to the ampler sermons that extend throughout the entire year, especially at those times which were appointed for the purpose of treating at length of each article, of the birth, sufferings, resurrection, ascension of Christ, etc. Aye, the entire gospel which we preach is based on this, that we properly understand this article as that upon which our salvation and all our happiness rest, and which is so rich and comprehensive that we never can learn it fully. Article 3. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This article, as I have said, I cannot relate better than to sanctification that through the same the Holy Ghost, with his office, is declared and depicted, namely, that he makes holy. Therefore, we must take our stand upon the word Holy Ghost, because it is so precise and comprehensive that we cannot find another, for there are, besides, many kinds of spirits mentioned in the Holy Scriptures, as the spirit of man, heavenly spirits, and evil spirits. But the Spirit of God alone is called Holy Ghost, that is, he who has sanctified and still sanctifies us. For as the Father is called Creator, the Son Redeemer, so the Holy Ghost from his work must be called Sanctifier, or one that makes holy. But how is such sanctifying done? Answer. Just as the Son obtains dominion, whereby he wins us, through his birth, death, resurrection, etc., so also the Holy Ghost affects our sanctification by the following parts, namely, by the communion of saints or the Christian church, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. That is, he first leads us into his holy congregation, and places us in the bosom of the church, whereby he preaches to us, and brings us to Christ. For neither you nor I could ever know anything of Christ, or believe on him, and obtain him for our Lord, unless it were offered to us 
and granted to our hearts by the Holy Ghost through the preaching of the gospel. The work is done and accomplished, for Christ has acquired and gained the treasure for us by his suffering, death, resurrection, etc. But if the work remained concealed, so that no one knew of it, then it would be in vain and lost. That this treasure, therefore, might not lie buried, but be appropriated and enjoyed, God has caused the word to go forth and be proclaimed, in which he gives the Holy Ghost to bring this treasure home and appropriate it to us. Therefore, sanctifying is nothing else than bringing us to Christ to receive this good, to which we could not attain of ourselves. Learn then to understand this article most clearly. If you are asked, what do you mean by the words, I believe in the Holy Ghost, you can answer, I believe that the Holy Ghost makes me holy, as his name implies. But whereby does he accomplish this, or what are his method and means to this end? Answer, by the Christian church, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. For, in the first place, he has a peculiar congregation in the world, which is the mother that begets and bears every Christian through the word of God, which he reveals and preaches, and through which he illumines and enkindles hearts, that they understand, accept it, cling to it, and persevere in it. For where he does not cause it to be preached and made alive in the heart, so that it is understood, it is lost, as was the case under the papacy, where faith was entirely put under the bench, and no one recognized Christ as his Lord or the Holy Ghost as his sanctifier. That is, no one believed that Christ is our Lord in the sense that he has acquired this treasure for us, without our works and merit, and made us acceptable to the Father. What then was lacking? This, that the Holy Ghost was not there to reveal it and cause it to be preached, but men and evil spirits were there who taught us to obtain grace and be saved by our works. Therefore, it is not a Christian church either. For where Christ is not preached, there is no Holy Ghost who creates, calls, and gathers the Christian church, without which no one can come to Christ the Lord. Let this suffice concerning the sum of this article. But because the parts which are here enumerated are not quite clear to the simple, we shall run over them also. The creed denominates the Holy Christian Church, Communionem Sanctorum, a communion of saints, for both expressions taken together are identical. But formally the one, the second, expression was not there, and it has been poorly and unintelligibly translated into German, Eine Gemeinschaft der Heiligen, a communion of saints. If it is to be rendered plainly, it must be expressed quite differently 
in the German idiom, for the word ecclesia properly means in German eine Versammlung, an assembly. But we are accustomed to the word church, by which the simple do not understand an assembled multitude, but the consecrated house or building, although the house ought not to be called a church, except only for the reason that the multitude assembles there. For we who assemble there make and choose for ourselves a particular place and give a name to the house according to the assembly. Thus the word kirka, church, means really nothing else than a common assembly, and is not German by idiom, but Greek, as is also the word ecclesia, for in their own language they call it kyria, as in Latin it is called curia. Therefore in genuine German, in our mother tongue, it ought to be called a Christian congregation or assembly, eine christlicher Gemeinde oder Sammlung, or best of all, and most clearly, holy Christendom, eine heiliger Christenheit. So also the word communio, which is added, ought not to be rendered communion, Gemeinschaft, but congregation, Gemeinde, and it is nothing else than an interpretation or explanation by which someone meant to explain what the Christian church is. This our people, who understood neither Latin nor German, have rendered Gemeinschaft der Heiligen, communion of saints, although no German language speaks thus, nor understands it thus. But to speak correct German, it ought to be eine Gemeinde der Heiligen, a congregation of saints, that is, a congregation made up purely of saints, or to speak yet more plainly, eine heilige Gemeinde, a holy congregation. I say this in order that the words Gemeinschaft der Heiligen, communion of saints, may be understood, because the expression has become so established by custom that it cannot well be eradicated and it is treated almost as heresy if one should attempt to change a word. But this is the meaning and substance of this addition. I believe that there is upon earth a little holy group and congregation of pure saints, under one head, even Christ, called together by the Holy Ghost in one faith, one mind and understanding, with manifold gifts, yet agreeing in love, without sects or schisms. I am also a part and member of the same, a sharer and joint owner of all the goods it possesses, brought to it and incorporated into it by the Holy Ghost, by having heard and continuing to hear the word of God, which is the beginning of entering it. For formerly, before we had attained to this, we were altogether of the devil, knowing nothing of God and of Christ. Thus, until the last day, the Holy Ghost abides with the holy congregation or Christendom, by means of which he fetches us to Christ, and which he employs to teach and preach to us the word, whereby he works and promotes sanctification causing it, this community, daily to grow and become strong in the faith and its fruits which he produces. 
we further believe that in this Christian church we have forgiveness of sin, which is wrought through the holy sacraments and absolution, moreover through all manner of consolatory promises of the entire gospel. Therefore, whatever is to be preached concerning the sacraments belongs here, and, in short, the whole gospel and all the offices of Christianity, which also must be preached and taught without ceasing. For although the grace of God is secured through Christ, and sanctification is wrought by the Holy Ghost through the word of God in the unity of the Christian church, yet on account of our flesh, which we bear about with us, we are never without sin. Everything, therefore, in the Christian church is ordered to the end that we shall daily obtain there nothing but the forgiveness of sin through the word and signs, to comfort and encourage our consciences as long as we live here. Thus, although we have sins, the grace of the Holy Ghost does not allow them to injure us, because we are in the Christian church, where there is nothing but continuous, uninterrupted forgiveness of sin, both in that God forgives us, and in that we forgive, bear with, and help each other. But outside of this Christian church, where the gospel is not, there is no forgiveness as also there can be no holiness, sanctification. Therefore all who seek and wish to merit holiness, sanctification, not through the gospel and forgiveness of sin, but by their works, have expelled and severed themselves from this church. Meanwhile, however, while sanctification has begun and is growing daily, we expect that our flesh will be destroyed and buried with all its uncleanness and will come forth gloriously and arise to entire and perfect holiness in a new eternal life. For now we are only half pure and holy, so that the Holy Ghost has ever some reason why to continue his work in us through the word and daily to dispense forgiveness, until we attain to that life where there would be no more forgiveness, but only perfectly pure and holy people, full of godliness and righteousness, removed and free from sin, death and all evil, in a new, immortal and glorified body. Behold! All this is to be the office and work of the Holy Ghost, that he begin and daily increase holiness upon earth by means of these two things, the Christian church and the forgiveness of sin. But in our dissolution, he will accomplish it altogether in an instant, and will forever preserve us therein by the last two parts. But the term Alphestehung des Fleisches, resurrection of the flesh, here employed, is not according to good German idiom. For when we Germans hear the word Fleisch, flesh, 
we think no further than of the shambles. But in good German idiom, we would say, Auferstehung des Liebes, or Leichnams, resurrection of the body. However, it is not a matter of much moment if we only understand the words aright. This now is the article which must ever be and remain in operation. For creation we have received. Redemption, too, is finished. But the Holy Ghost carries on his work without ceasing to the last day. And for that purpose he has appointed a congregation upon earth by which he speaks and does everything. For he has not yet brought together all his Christian church, nor dispensed forgiveness. Therefore we believe in him who through the word daily brings us into the fellowship of this Christian church. And through the same word and the forgiveness of sins bestows, increases and strengthens faith in order that when he has accomplished it all and we abide therein and die to the world and to all evil, he may finally make us perfectly and forever holy which now we expect in faith through the word. Behold, here you have the entire divine essence, will and work depicted most exquisitely in quite short and yet rich words, wherein consists all our wisdom, which surpasses and exceeds the wisdom, mind and reason of all men. For although the whole world with all diligence has endeavoured to ascertain what God is, what he has in mind and does, yet has she never been able to attain to the knowledge and understanding of any of these things. But here we have everything in richest measure, for here in all three articles he has himself revealed and opened the deepest abyss of his paternal heart and of his pure unutterable love for he has created us for this very object that he might redeem and sanctify us and in addition to giving and imparting to us everything in heaven and upon earth he has given to us even his son and the holy ghost by whom to bring us to himself for, as explained above, we could never attain to the knowledge of the grace and favour of the Father, except through the Lord Christ, who is a mirror of the paternal heart, outside of whom we see nothing but an angry and terrible judge. But of Christ we could know nothing either, unless it had been revealed by the Holy Ghost. These articles of the creed, therefore, divide and separate us Christians from all other people upon earth. For all outside of Christianity, whether heathen, Turks, Jews, or false Christians and hypocrites, although they believe in and worship only one true God, yet know not what his mind towards them is, and cannot expect any love or blessing from him. Therefore they abide in eternal wrath and damnation, for they have not the Lord Christ, and besides are not illumined and favoured by any gifts of the Holy Ghost. From this you perceive that the creed is a doctrine quite different from the Ten Commandments, for the latter teaches indeed what we ought to do, but the former 
tells what God does for us and gives to us. Moreover, apart from this, the Ten Commandments are written in the hearts of all men. The creed, however, no human wisdom can comprehend, but it must be taught by the Holy Ghost alone. The latter doctrine of the law therefore makes no Christian, for the wrath and displeasure of God abide upon us still, because we cannot keep what God demands of us. But this, namely the doctrine of faith, brings pure grace, and makes us godly and acceptable to God. For by this knowledge we obtain love and delight in all the commandments of God, because here we see that God gives himself entire to us, with all that he has and is able to do, to aid and direct us in keeping the Ten Commandments. The Father, all creatures, the Son, his entire work, and the Holy Ghost, all his gifts. Let this suffice concerning the creed to lay a foundation for the simple, that they may not be burdened, so that, if they understand the substance of it, they themselves may afterwards strive to acquire more, and to refer to these parts whatever they learn in the scriptures, and may ever grow and increase in richer understanding. For as long as we live here, we shall daily have enough to do to preach and to learn this. End of section 9